Yo, we live in difficult times. There's war, political unrest, the pandemic, poverty, families being torn, communities ripped by gun violence and people dying every day. Police, injustice, it's all bringing so much pain. But y'all, we can look inside our minds and we can understand who we are, become better, and do this thing like we've never done it before. But it all starts with our mental health and I know we can do it. I believe in you because I believe in me and I believe in us. Hello, my name is Gerald McGee, the founder and mental health counselor to everyday people, individual and family counseling center, LLC in Euclid, Ohio in the Shore Cultural Center. The big red building in the middle. I'm excited to be here today for our eighth podcast of Therapy is Life. We are celebrating Juneteenth. Today we'll be discussing the unique impact mental health has had on African Americans. You know, it is so good to be here today. We're celebrating 10 years. This is Juneteenth and we need to raise our consciousness. Okay, before I get too deep into the discussion... I always like to start with a few warm-up points. I call it setting the table. The first thing, what about this cost of gas? Man, I took my son to move into his apartment about three hours away, then two hours away to his new spot. Man, it cost me like $150. We got to do something about this gas because this is a trip. Think about it. If you keep up like this, it's going to be the pandemic all over again. And I'm not saying the pandemic has ended, but it just be another one, a gas pandemic, because everybody going to be sitting at home, uh, looking at their TVs on their phones, ain't going nowhere, ain't going nowhere. Why? Because it costs too much to drive. So I remember when gas was $1 a gallon. Well, you could take $5. You could put in your tank and get a half a tank. Now, $5 won't get you maybe a gallon, just a gallon. Can't imagine that. This has got to be crazy. I'm hoping I wake up and I find that gas has gone back down to some reasonable amount. But I know that's not going to happen no time soon. So, y'all, what are we going to do with these gas prices? Jeez. Congratulations to the Golden State Warriors in winning, I believe, their fourth championship. And Steve Kerr, I think he got like nine rings now. Man, talk about that. But I guess the Dubs did it again, no matter what you think about Steph, Clay, Man, them some bad boys. And you may not like Draymond. He might be severely dramatic, but... Hey, that dude, he leaves it out there on the court. So they got it again. I wonder what will happen next. I guess we'll all stay tuned to the next season. And hopefully it'll be somebody else. I hope it'll be my team. Maybe it'll be your team. But just not the dubs. <laughs> Finally, my attitude of gratitude today it is Juneteenth. We're celebrating this great holiday, the liberation of Africans from slavery in the Americas. 
And if you feel liberated, then you should have learned how to be tolerant because if you feeling free, but you judging other people and making them feel like they less than, then you're show not tolerant as you need to be. So look around, look at that person that you don't feel so comfortable with. Why don't you go and speak to them? Be nice and warm to them. Try to accept them as they are. Because remember, the whole foundation of slavery was based on the idea that you and I were not accepted. Tolerance. It is a powerful tool because when we have gratitude, we can appreciate other people no matter who they are. Because when we are good, we see the world in a different way. Next, obviously we about to move into our main course of discussion and we're talking about race. We're talking about mental health. We're talking about African-Americans and how mental health uniquely impacts the African-American. I want to emphasize that up until this point, I've been talking about motivation and how it was important for us to be able to accept our truths and work through our pains. We were able to talk about social constructs and how they determine much of our attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors. We were able to talk about human instincts and how they may influence us. Particularly today, I remember talking about biases and how they may influence our behavior. I didn't see myself doing one on African-Americans right now, but since it's Juneteenth, I thought I would jump in and do something right now. So here goes, because I want you and me to get a greater understanding of how black Americans are affected uniquely by mental health. Before we get too deep off into it though, I want you to understand, we gotta go back to the beginning. Y'all ever heard of saying Kofelberg? In order to move forward, it must first look back. And if you've ever seen that movie, it is so good. Go back to your past. But there was a middle passage. And in that middle passage, that's the transatlantic tr slave trade that went from the Africa through the Americas and the Caribbean and, and all throughout the world. You know, it lasted from perhaps the 1500s to the 1900s. The 1900s, man, that's scary because, man, I was born in the 1900s. Matter of fact, what's scary when you think about it is Harriet Tubman, I think she died in like 1908. Michael Jordan, I think it was born somewhere in the early 1960s. So he was born some like maybe 50 years or so after Harriet Tubman died, who actually was one of the greatest slave abolitionists of all time. You go girl. But in the middle passage, there was 12.5 million slaves transported from Africa to the Americas. And there's an estimated two to 4 million people who, who died. I think about the story of Olaudo Equiano and how he talks about his being kidnapped from his home and, and put on a ship locked in the hull of a ship, not knowing where he was going, but losing his family, losing 
his country, losing his identity as a black African and being immersed into reality of slavery. This reality would be traumatizing and would create cycles of traumatized people because it wasn't just his experience. It would be the experience for many generations to come. I think of the, the slave complaint by George Mo Moses Horton written in 1829. It goes like this. I am sadly cast aside on misfortune, rugged ride. Will the world my pains deride forever? Must I dwell in slavery night and all pleasure take its flight far beyond my feeble sight forever, ever? Worst of all, must hope grow dim? Don't have no light, y'all. And withhold her cheering grim. Rather let me sleep and dream forever. Something still my heart surveys, groping through this dreary maze. It is hope, then burn and blaze forever. Leave not a wretch confined, altogether lame and blind unto gross despair consigned forever. Heaven, in whom I confide, canst thou not for all provide? Condescend to be my God forever. And when this transient life shall end, oh, may some kind eternal friend bid me from servitude to sin forever. I wonder how this makes you feel to hear the words of a slave and understand maybe to somewhat how he felt. We don't, we never felt the lashes. We never felt his pain, but his, his mind, his experiences live on in us, black or white, Latino, Asian. If you're a part of the Americas in some way, his experience, lives in you because it has become a part of the American culture. This is America. When I was a young boy growing up in the South, I had this really cool white friend named Thomas and we would play every day. And you know, I didn't know that my community was unique. I mean, it was integrated. We would get on our bikes and ride and do our things, play cops and robbers and all other things. And of course, football, because that was the sport in South Carolina. You did that like every day. It was a rule of thumb. I oftentimes wonder why the SEC got it like it does. But man, maybe it's because the, they just play all the time down there. Big 10, they, they do a lot to have some good players too. I ain't sleeping on the Big 10, but man, South and the Carolinas, football, football, football. But to get back on focus here, get back on point, one day while I was out with my friend Thomas, some of my black friends from school comes over and we start to chat and play. And Thomas, I guess he feels a little uncomfortable, so he walks away, he goes in his house, and the next thing I know, his mother 
with her red hair and semi-looking puffed-up hairdo comes out to me and she says, hey, Gerald. I'm like, yes? Why you out here with these bad boys? I'm like, bad boys, these some boys go to my school. They're just some friends of mine. Oh, no, you shouldn't be hanging out with them. I wonder what made her say that? What made her feel that way? What had her going to move, to go in that direction? They was just some friends of mine from school. <laughs> I remember being in school talking about white history and somebody saying, it seems like, hey, white people created all things that wasn't really important. Ah. Oh. I didn't know enough at that time to really rebuke what he was saying because it seems like everything around me was about white people. And it was normal for them to see it that way because that's what they know. But for me being a chocolate black boy, it seemed kind of strange that everything around me was about white people. When I got to high school, I remember reading Tom Sawyer, Huckleberry Finn, and thinking about those things. And it seemed like there was those stereotypes about black people. And there was the word being used, nigga, all over again. And I was supposed to see this book, these books by Mark Twain as being some really good writings that told us about the culture of America. This is America, right? But in that same class, I couldn't read the autobiography of Malcolm X or other books that might be more sensitive to my own experience. As a social worker, I remember working in residential, I remember working in foster care. I remember working in uh, child protective services and a therapist. I've heard many stories. I've seen many people's pains and sufferings, and it's brought me to this conclusion. Never has it ever been just about an individual effort in obtaining the greatest level in, in, in life, but it's always been a struggle, a challenge. Not just something intrapersonal, it's been family, it's been environment, it's been community, it's been government. All of these things point to the unique mental health challenges of African Americans. Not a story that just happened today, but this story goes back 400 years because there's been attitudes, beliefs, and behaviors being perpetuated over and over again that has brought us to this place. And because of that, we have to consider as a therapist how these challenges of our historical experience impact the life we live today. You know, there's substantial evidence that race is not biological, meaning that all of our organs, our body parts, need the same physical and emotional nourishment to survive and thrive. Race is a social construct that strongly influences how we think, feel, and act in America. 
Probably so. Research suggests that when we look at people, we automatically want to put them in some type of racial category. And maybe before this 400 years, it wasn't like that. Have you read books where they talk about the color of skin or, and it wasn't really specifically focusing on one's racial identity or, or cultural identity. It was just people talking about people. I mean, there's stories all over the world where people of different religions, people of different ethnic backgrounds and cultures may have came together, lived and worked amongst each other, and even worshiped in the same places, although they had different religions. Crazy, right? Ivan Van Sertima book that came before Columbus discusses the archeological findings in maritime studies and Spanish accounts of Africans in Colombia and Peru before the 1600s or the 15th century, I believe that is. Their accounts tell that King Ababucara II sailed to the Americas in the 1300s and were re revered by the Aztecs because those Negroid people were the ceremonial color of one of their gods. Because of this, they revered these people. Think about it. In the 1300s, blacks who came to this new world were revered and respected almost to the point of gods. But for many years, we have been seen as less than human in many accounts. In 1619, things changed. The first American slaves were brought to Jamestown, Virginia. The institution of chattel slavery will become a critical part of American politics, economies, social life, religion, and family life. For 400 years, stereotypes of laziness, paganism, irrational, irrational actions, hypersexuality, undiscipline, and more. So where is Auntie Jamama? Where is Safara? Where is Jezebel? Where is Sambo? It was all about that kind of stuff. You know, I remember watching Mama on Tom and Jerry. Thomas? Thomas? Didn't know what that was all about at the time. Jeez. But it was pumping some serious black stereotypes that had been going on for centuries. And I didn't even know about it. Remember when I said hot dogs? Hot dogs. I told you how they came from one place, Germany. They, they was brought to America and how they were used and they spread all over the United States and became a part of American identity. Where mama and auntie and Sambo, they became rooted in American culture. And this dehumanization of black people would functionalize slavery and it would become acceptable in most of the colonies, you see, you can't do this kind of stuff without normalizing it. And so if granddaddy did it, then it was all right because I love granddaddy and he was a good man. If daddy did it, it was all right because I love daddy and he did it. And so if my granddaddy did it, my daddy did it, then it's okay if I do it too. It becomes a part of my worldview. So in 1865, slavery ends, right? Juneteenth, we celebrating it. We call it Juneteenth because we don't actually know the, the exact date. But somewhere between the 10th and the 19th, somewhere 
it started and we celebrated on the 19th. But look, look, look what happens next. There's reconstruction. Ah, oh, we made some thrives. I remember hearing the words of W.D. Du Bois when he talked about in the souls of black folks, how we thought that just being free would be enough. But what we realized was we needed to vote. We needed to get educated. And so black people begin to do those things. They begin to vote. They begin to get elected to public offices. And even in places like Wilmington, South Carolina, black people came together with white people and they built, they built these great uh, communities where white and black people work together. So don't buy the hype that black and whites can't work together because they have. Of course, that didn't work for everybody. Thus came the Jim Crow era in retaliation to the reconstruction period, which trying to take away all the whites and all the liberties that blacks had gained during reconstruction. You know what's crazy about that? Even the public education system that we now have was actually inspired by Africans, by African-Americans back in the 1800s. But they fought against that. They fought against those good things. And we move into the 1900s. And by the time we get to the 1920s, black people are so beat down, knocked out, so burnt out from all the things they've been having to go through just to get a part of the American dream, just to get their peace, not wanting to take anything from anybody else, but just wanting their fair share. So then we have the Holland Renaissance. We think about it a lot, a lot. We think about um, Langston Hughes. We think about Conti Cullen. We think about many other artists of that time. Satchmo, why am I so black and blue? County Cullen wrote a poem, Yet I Marvel. And he talks about the things we go through and all these questions about we going through sounding so much, much like George Horton. But despite everything we're going through, he finds a way to become a black poet. Much of the Holland Renaissance was deliberately designed to change the ideas and beliefs around what it meant to be black in America. They wanted to change the image through the use of art, music, and culture. But even with that great effort, the challenges persisted. Through the 1930s, during the Dust Bowl era, they said, hey, white people had it bad. And some white people really did have it bad. A lot of white people really had it bad. But you know what? When they catch a cold, we would get pneumonia. But because we had experienced so many challenges for so long, we was resilient through those times and we were able to fight through it. But yet, we still had to press forward. We had to move. And here we are, 1960s, civil rights, 1965. And it's hard to believe because when we talk about what has transpired and all the years and all the pains and suffering and all the lives that have been lost. Many of us 
when we look at the situation around African-Americans, we fail to realize this point. It's only been about the last 55 years that black Americans have had full rights as citizens. Most of the time that this country has been in existence, the African has been struggling just to have equity and a peace of mind.